Welcome to Swift Unwrapped, a show about the Swift programming language and other projects at Swift.org. I'm JP Samard. And I'm Jesse Squires. And uh, before we get into today's episode, we'd like to thank our first sponsor, uh, which is Clubhouse. Clubhouse is the first project management platform for software development that brings everyone on every team together to build better products. Clubhouse provides the perfect balance of simplicity and structure for better cross-functional collaboration. Its fast, intuitive interface makes it easy for people on any team to focus in on their work on a specific task or project, while also being able to zoom out and see how that work is contributing towards the bigger picture. With a simple API and robust set of integrations, Clubhouse also seamlessly integrates with the tools you use every day, getting out of your way so you can deliver quality software on time. If you would like to check Clubhouse out, uh, you can find them at clubhouse.io slash swift unwrapped. All right. Now, as we record this, it's been a few weeks since uh, WWDC. And of course, one of those banner uh, features, one of the many banner uh, announcements was SwiftUI. And uh, there's just so much that is powering SwiftUI from a language standpoint coming in Swift 5.1 or currently under review. And so we thought we'd take a look at one of those proposals and really kind of unwrap it. I see what you did there. (laughs) Of course, we're talking about (laughs) property wrappers, previously known as property delegates, previously known as property behaviors. I don't know if it was previously known as something else. Right. Previously known as language hacks like lazy and NS copying. Yeah. So back in, uh, I think you said it was 2015 JP when the property behaviors proposal first came up. Um, Yeah. I think, I think that's when uh, the first gist started flying around, but the proposal SE 30 wasn't actually uh, pushed up to Swift evolution until January, 2016. Yeah. I remember, um, I remember that proposal and I remember getting super excited about it way back then. And it got deprioritized for a lot of different reasons, but I think the timing just wasn't quite right ultimately. And the language wasn't really mature enough to, to take on that proposal at the time. And Joe Groff authored that one primarily, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and then uh, I think it was Doug Greger um, that posted the the rationale. He was a review manager, and he shared that um, core team believed that this feature was a worth was worthwhile for Swift, but uh, that there we were far from converging on the design, um, and it may be a bit too early to accept it. And so this was way back in February 2016. You know, so it it really started. Uh, planting seeds in people's minds in terms of what this could be, but wasn't actually revived until March 2019. Yeah, that's right. I remember talking with Joe Groff on on Twitter, at least, about that proposal and getting really excited about it. Um, 
because it get it would get rid of you know lazy NS copying and NS managed these kind of specialized um, attributes or keywords that you can put on properties um, and and generalize it. But um, did you see? Uh, I think it was in iOS Dev Weekly or something. Uh, someone tweeted about how long Swift UI has been kind of under development. There's been a lot of like experimentation, and apparently it, it was under development for like a number of years. And um, now that makes me wonder if that's how the original property behaviors proposal came up. And if that's what they had been doing behind the scenes, yeah, um, it's definitely been uh, in the works for years. Um, I think uh, John Harper, who uh, was one of the early pioneers of core animation, um, creator even, um, left Apple in like 2014 um, to go to Facebook, and then I think he went back to Apple to sort of lead the, the Swift UI effort. Um, but I'm not sure exactly when that was, but it's, it's definitely been years in the making, whether or not things like, you know, the property behaviors sketches that were floating around in 2015, 16 were, were being driven by, um, Swift UI or something else. I, I, I really can't tell. Um, it is a generally useful feature, which is why we're going to cover it today, and and why you mentioned you know things like NS copying and lazy could be re-implemented um, using this this sort of feature. Uh, I remember at the time with property behaviors, um, I was very excited because I was working at Realm at the time, and one of the main reasons why we uh, used or abused the Objective C runtime was to effectively um, wrap property accesses uh, to to kind of do our own thing, right? So you would you'd be working with this object that appeared like any other object or value. And then you would access one of its property and we would we would look at the uh, at the setter and getter implementation and replace them with our own. And so a property behavior would have actually allowed us to do the same thing without requiring the Objective C runtime, which is hugely powerful, right? If you if you can start creating these very dynamic type of frameworks like an ORM or like uh, a database-backed memory graph or object graph, um, you, you can really start to do these really powerful things in a type-safe way without runtime mangling, right? Um, and, and that was very appealing. And, and I think ultimately through the design changes, that's, that's not something that you'd be able to do today as is with what property wrappers have, have sort of become or are converging on. Um, but it may be something that, that could be possible in kind of a future refinement. Yeah, and I remember way back in the the original uh, property behaviors proposal, um, one reason I remember thinking it was so interesting is, um, you know, not just because it would get rid of the lazy keyword potentially and have that be re-implemented as a property behavior, but... Um, also, the the NS managed attribute, which was you know, which is still used for uh, core data objects, um, could be or uh, could have theoretically been also re-implemented as a property wrapper, uh, which is similar to this realm stuff. 
yes and no. Like yeah. Ennis, at Ennis Manage is actually used um, as a class wrapper, uh, mm. not as a property wrapper. Um, oh, so, really? I thought it was. Uh, huh. Okay. Yeah, it's been a while since I've used yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while since I've used it too, but last last time I looked at it, you marked the whole class as at Ennis Managed. And, uh, it, I see. It basically opted out of any of the Swiftisms um, in terms of how how that type is encoded. It just pretended like it was Objective-C that was just written in, in Swift. But like everything, everything in that class would end up being... Um, uh, being representable by the Objective C runtime, and it, it was it, it was kind of a, an extreme version of at obshi, right, right, which doesn't kind of nest recursively at NS Manage. Like everything under that scope is just there's no Swift here. Yeah, got it. I uh, yeah, I have this weird memory of adding that to properties, but maybe I've just made that up in my head. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. It may have kind of evolved over the years too, but... Um. Yeah. Cool. So now Property Wrappers SE258 is in its third review, which I think... I've seen three reviews on proposals before. I think that's usually like the max. Um, so hopefully this this will be the last round. Yeah, and really, if you look at that at that third review, um, you know, there's uh, the the core team did highlight that for the most part, um, they think that you know most of the points have been uh, well enough settled, um, mm-hmm. and that uh, the third review should really focus on kind of the parts that have not um, fully settled and the three key differences. Uh, from the previous revisions are that um, now the synthesized storage property is uh, like codified to always have a leading underscore and is always private. So that's not one. Mm-hmm. Um, what was previously known as the wrapper value property um, is now the projected value because otherwise it was hard to kind of tell the difference between wrapped value and wrapper value if you were quickly reading through, right? They were close mm-hmm. together, so now, which is really nice because that gives the concept of of a projection in nomenclature, which mm-hmm. is a pretty accurate way to describe what's actually happening here, right? The the wrapped value is being projected onto the 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 wrapper value, mm-hmm. uh, and then finally, um, there were some ACL changes as well, meaning that the projected property always has the same access control level as the original wrapped property, instead of forcing it to be internal. So that if, for example, you're using Swift UI and uh, you know one of your at state or at environment object properties are public for some reason, that you mm-hmm. can still publicly access the um, the projected property as well from say outside that module, meaning that reflect reflecting the idea that property wrapper types the projection is equal in importance to the wrapped value in the API of the property and. That makes sense to me, although you probably want to minimize uh, the times in which you 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 make your property wrappers public in most cases. Right. It seems, yeah, seems like mostly an implementation detail. Yeah, it depends. That you, you know, wouldn't want you, to expose. You, you could imagine some sort of uh, public framework where mm-hmm. uh, part of its usage is configuring 
configuring an object with storage or being able to to access that that projected value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, part part of the challenge with a feature like this is that it does have very broad applications, and so trying mm-hmm. to think of all of them up front um, is is sort of impossible. We'll we'll see. Um, patterns emerge over time if if this is accepted, um, and we'll see kind of how how people end up using this in practice. Right. I mean, it. Uh, I'm pretty sure it will be accepted. Right. It's just a matter of uh, the community sort of coming to a consensus on um, spelling and naming and syntax and and other things. Right considering swift ui is powered by all of this yeah yeah it'd be hard to to pull the rug out from under this at this point but you know i i will say this is where the swift core team does have an outsized amount of power and responsibility in terms of considering mm-hmm. community feedback but also not you know getting stuck in um design by committee uh pitfalls where you sure. know if there's one dissenting opinion that still remains uh that you know the whole thing stopped is stopped in its tracks right mm-hmm. that you do have to kind of strike a balance between pragmatism and um and community driven design yeah so should we actually go over um what this is we've kind of uh hinted at this but we haven't really explicitly stated what this proposal uh suggests yeah, how how would you uh, how would you describe it? Yeah, I I would say for um, at least for Objective C folks, what this reminds me of is just the ability to override your getters and setters in Objective C. Um, obviously, it's way more um, complex than that here, but um, essentially, you're providing um, or you know it's it's this pattern where you have like some private underscore var that you then wrap in some public var. And um, perhaps that's because you're lazily initializing something and you can do that kind of basic thing in Swift today on your own. Um, And this kind of, you know, generalizes that type of um, pattern. Yeah. Concretely, you'd, you can create these types that are annotated with the at property wrapper attribute um, on the type itself, usually a, a struct or a class. And what that property wrapper type then provides is that you can create properties that are annotated with, say, you know, at state or at environment object. Now, those are the property wrappers provided by SwiftUI, but your own library can provide its own property wrappers. Uh, or, you know, it doesn't have to be a library. It can just be in, in your app. These uh, attributes can then also be parameterized. Um, and one example that I really like uh, that um, Matt Thompson gave in his property wrapper and his hipster post is uh, a potential type that's that's called clamping that uh, is annotated with app property wrapper. And this could bound values that um, are comparable to a specific range. And so one example is 
for example, if, if you have a double that represents uh, the acidity, um, like chemical acidity, well, there's a range of 0 to 14 where that's representable. And so that property could be annotated with at clamping 0 to 14 and then var pH, right? Um, so that if you were to set anything beyond that range, it could, um, it could clamp it to its closest bound. And, and that's just kind of one example of, of kind of an end-to-end, like you create a type, you annotate with property, at property wrapper, and then you can use it when declaring properties elsewhere in your code base. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's super interesting. Um, you know, you can do this now in Swift. You could like kind of implement that on a single property, right? On your own, but this generalizes that to be reusable and to actually be like built into uh, the type system, I guess. Is that how you would say it? Yeah, I, I think another way to phrase that is that it's taking some um, language level features and lifting them up a little bit into uh, either the standard library or, or other libraries so that mm-hmm. it can sort of democratize. Um, the, the feature of being able to annotate properties. Because we've had this for a while, right? You mentioned at NSManaged, um, but there's also been lazy, there's been dynamic, at OpsC. Um, and so this isn't this isn't kind of an isolated pattern, right? And, and mm-hmm. if, if you find that you're already doing kind of multiple iterations or variations of something, I should say, um, then odds are that you, you may not have found like the entire close set of solutions to doing doing that kind of thing and that's why it's really nice to expose that to users um yeah i'm I'm looking forward to seeing kind of how how this impacts a real life swift over time yeah yeah same um and the the proposal itself if you look on the if you look in the swift evolution repo i mean there are like there are extensive examples of ways that you could use this, um, which I don't really recall most proposals having this many examples. So it's really nice to see. Another thing they outline here is um, in the examples, you know, having an atomic property wrapper or having, oh, like we already discussed, like re-implementing NS copying as a property wrapper. So there's so many different options here with things you could do for this. Yeah, um, and and this kind of gets us into similar territories, operator overloading, where uh, just because you can doesn't necessarily mean you should. Like there, there are like any API design considerations. Like this is another tool in your tool belt, and um, you know I, I think over time the community will sort of develop a. Uh, a gut a gut check for what is an appropriate property wrapper versus um, a gratuitous use of property wrappers. Mm-hmm. Right. But you know, if if you're sort of codifying uh, constraints or behaviors on on property access, either writing or reading, then a property wrapper is a good way to do that. Where you know, instead of having it in your documentation that says like, you know, by the way, this property gets truncated um, or gets clamped or does some some other behavior um, that you know is beyond just writing whatever you gave it or reading whatever you last gave it 
um, then codifying it, not just in documentation, but in the type system can be a really powerful thing. And I'm looking now um, toward the end of this proposal about the impact on existing code and backwards compatibility. And it looks like the impact there is, is fine. Um, it's not going to impact existing code. It's like an additive uh, feature. Uh, but I wonder what the plan is for things like lazy and NS copying. There's a, there's a lot of discussion about how those could be re-implemented using this, but uh, I don't see any discussion of actually removing those from Swift yet. So I wonder what the plan is for that. Yeah, um, it's it's a good question. I'm not sure. Uh, and ultimately, you know, fa- foundation is its own uh, framework, right? That's not subject to Swift evolution. And so whatever the foundation team decides to do in terms of where to adopt this is sort of outside the purview of the Swift evolution uh, discussion forum. Mm-hmm. Let's take a short break here and thank our second sponsor, which is Instabug. Uh, Instabug lets you squash bugs in less than a minute. Uh, if you just finished developing your app and you want to have that tested to get feedback on it, you can start sending it to your testers and discover bugs in your app right away. And you know how long it takes from here. Usually, without any sort of feedback tools, getting that feedback is really tedious and you never get enough data. You go back and forth and back and forth. And this is where Instabug really helps you out. Instabug is an SDK that provides your beta app with a super intuitive bug reporting and feedback solution that helps you reproduce errors and iterate so much faster. And then when your app goes live, you can actually track how your app is performing through their auto crash reporting solution, which identifies similar crashes, groups them together, and measures how severe they are according to the impact on users. You can reproduce and fix those errors way faster by inspecting the complete stack trace and other app data attached with each crash report. Uh, we have a special offer for Swift Unwrapped listeners. If you go to instabug.com swift, you can sign up for free, install the SDK, and even get Instabug's brand new t-shirt. Once again, you go to instabug.com swift to sign up for free and your free t-shirt. Thank you to Instabug for sponsoring this episode. One of the interesting designs of property wrappers, um, which was sort of refined uh, over the now three revisions uh, that uh, that have gone through the proposal process is uh, the idea of composing them together. And what I mean by that is when you specify a property in your own type, um, instead of just being able to specify one property wrapping attribute, like for example, earlier we mentioned the at clamping or at state in, 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 case, in the case of SwiftUI, that you could actually specify multiple ones of these. Um, and for example, like at clamping could also be used with at lazy, for example, if lazy were to become a property wrapper. And the model that's being used here is a nesting model, meaning that reading from left to right, um, oh, yeah, reading from left to right, um, the leftmost property wrapper would wrap what comes on the right as its own property. And then again, you kind of repeat that with a uh, Russian nesting dolls model where you kind of have the outer wrapper, the inner wrapper, the innermost wrapper, and then the kind of 
core property that you have at the at the very bottom. Right. So if the first one on the left is the outermost, and then it wraps the next thing and the next thing. Yeah. Exactly. Like you could imagine an alternate syntax where you'd have uh, parentheses instead of being just white space separated, where you know, say you had and and the proposal itself um, specifies some like straw man. Um, uh, property wrappers. One is delayed mutable, which is sort of like lazy, I guess, and at copying, which is sort of NS copy. Um, and so you could have an at delayed mutable at copying, and then your property like have a UI Bezier path is what's what's shown here. And so you would have you would first wrap the Bezier path in copying because that is kind of innermost. And then you'd wrap that in delayed mutable. And there may be cases in which um, if uh, property wrapper composition isn't commutative, like for example, if one property wrapper is generically constrained um, in its in its type that it can wrap, but the other one isn't, you may not be able to kind of swap these around. Or they may have different semantics, uh, even if they are compatible to, sw- to switch around. So this this is going to be hopefully rare in practice where you have to do this, but it may get you out of a sticky situation. Yeah, I mean, what this really brings to mind is how many property wrappers could we nest, you know, just for fun. It's turtles all the way down. Someone needs to make an at turtle. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then just have... Oh, that's actually... Uh, that's that's an interesting idea. Can you use? Could you put like at copying at copying var path and copy it twice? I think you could, just to be sure. Yeah, don't do this at copy. home, kids. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I uh, I'd love to see someone try to do that, or just something ridiculous. You know, like you mentioned with abusing custom operators and operator overloading. Um, this just opens up a lot of really great possibilities, I think. I, I look forward to all all the hacks. Yeah. This is one thing that uh, initially maybe I had overlooked or um, maybe this was added in a later revision of the proposal. I'm not sure, but um, I think the the ability to compose them is a nice touch and super powerful. Um, so then you don't have to implement um, like a delayed mutable copying property. Um, you can have these two things completely separated out. Um, another interesting thing you can do with property wrappers is to give them an initial value. And the syntax for this is, is really nice where um, you you can just initialize your property uh, where you're declaring it, just like you would any other instance uh, instance member of a Swift type. And that will, instead of creating the type of the property that you're initializing there, it will take that value and inject it in the initializer uh, that, that takes an initial value of your property wrapper type um, so that you can do things like you know, specify in, in our UI Bayesian path or example earlier, actually create one there 
um, and that would get passed to the initial values of all of the wrapping property wrappers. It's just a nice shortcut you could take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's pretty convenient too. Yeah, I don't think this is the end of the story either for property wrappers, where there's a lot more that you can build incrementally. Um, one of the things that could be really powerful if you're um, trying to build, again, I mentioned earlier, an, an object relational mapper or um, a an object graph that's backed by some other kind of storage, what you could do is to have a property wrapper without the synthesized storage. Um, and if beyond that, you also, um, you also get a little bit more metadata included in the property wrapper initialization, like for example, what's the name of the property that's being wrapped and what are some of the metadata information on its containing type, you could do something like build an ORM um, that, that backs these objects without having to specify things like, you know, a hard-coded string that specifies what the name of the property is. And there are other examples like user defaults where uh, this is an example that's provided in the proposal itself, but to to back, for example, a property by uh, an NS user default, you would have to still specify the explicit key name, which may be useful in some cases, but in others, if you just want to reuse the property name, it could be nice to inject that kind of metadata. Now, I think this is way out of scope for the the current iteration, just really kind of painting where this might go in the future um, if anyone wanted to, to take this idea and run with it in terms of how to make these even more powerful for even more use cases down the line. Yeah, for sure. Um... The other thing that comes to mind is uh, I wonder how many, um, you know, third party like Swift packages we'll start to see with different property wrappers um, since these things are pretty reusable. And I wonder if we'll have, if the community will produce a lot of these or not. Yeah. I mean, one exercise for the listener could be uh, to dig through your own code base and see if there are kind of commonly repeated patterns when you're overriding uh, will set, did set, set, or get in your in your properties. And if you find a lot of common patterns in there, a lot of duplicate code, well, that could probably be a good candidate for a property wrapper where you reduce the potential um, for bugs as well, where you're no longer duplicating and, and hand writing code every time you want to have some sort of semantic on your property behavior. All right. Well, I think that is all we have for this episode. Uh, you can find the show on Twitter at Swift underscore Unwrapped, and you can find me at Jesse underscore Squires. You can find me at SimJP on Twitter. Once again, we'd like to thank Clubhouse for sponsoring this episode. You can check them out at clubhouse.io slash swiftunwrapped, all one word, and Instabug as well. And you can check them out at instabug.com slash swift. Thanks for listening.